I won't share too long. I want to share on hope, what I call uh, the importance of hope. I don't hear very many sermons on hope, just the subject itself. I noticed in that first little song we sang, before you said verse 2, we sang one, said, grace is rising, and down in the second part of it, it said, hope is stirring. Remember that? Well, grace is always rising. Grace is, grace is there for the taking. Uh, it's everywhere. The only thing about it is we have to receive it. Grace is not going to... There's a general grace, but personally, grace is not going to affect you if you don't receive it. And the Word says that truth and grace came through Jesus Christ, right? So grace is probably the most important thing given to us, and it's the basis of all of our faith. Uh, It's the basis of our understanding. Uh, it's it's everything, and it it's, comes from the Lord Himself, and it's it's such a tremendous gift, and it allows us to become supernaturally born again. And uh, little aside, I was thinking about <clears throat> the other night we were talking, and I had a prophetic thing came to me years ago. It was several years ago. That, you know, we're in the midst of, of great turmoil in the earth, all kinds of turmoil. Uh, the backdrop of the world is, is in greater peril, I think, it, than it's ever been. I know there's always been sin. If you read the Old Testament, there's always been struggles among nations. But I don't think ever before in history has the whole world at once been sort of bathed in the Antichrist. I think of the Muslim world, and by the way, God loves Muslims. He likes to see them saved, but their doctrine, their vision uh, is demonic. And there's a great threat everywhere in the world. And the Lord uh, showed me that there was a kind of an evil tide rising, and there is an attempt by the enemy in these last days to, he sees what's coming, his demise, and so the Bible says that he will become very wroth in the King James, very, he, he will redouble his efforts to stamp out the church. And uh, up till up till now, we've had waves of blessing from Christ. Uh, there's been waves of revival all through the earth, going all the way back to the Book of Acts. And uh, the Lord showed me though that now this last wave, and I was talking to the elders about this the other night. This last wave is is a bigger wave than we've ever seen it's so big that it's almost like a giant swell and instead of something crashing like 50 years ago 
there's a rising tide that's hardly recognizable because it's it's like it's rising in a swamp, and uh, <clears throat> only those who are attuned to God, only those who, like in John fifteen seven, only those who are abiding in Him. And the word abiding in them, and who are really supernaturally born again, and have the grace and the gift to understand what God's doing, although we don't understand it perfectly, only those are going to rise with this wave. And those who aren't attentive, those who are... uh, the many that are described in Matthew 7, it says there's a, there's a broad gate and many, and it leads to destruction, many are going through it. But he says, take the narrow gate. Fewer there are. Few there are. There are few, only few that are going to go through the narrow gate. Now, I don't know how many that is and don't care. I mean, it's up to the Lord, but... My prayer for you and all of my children, grandchildren, is that we'll be among the few who choose the narrow gate. Because only those are going to survive. Over in the book of Joel, this is, a, this is something that came to me while I was sitting there. It says, there are multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision in the day of the Lord. And, and the, the multitudes out there, we don't know who's saved and who isn't. So we've got to preach the gospel to everybody. The Lord knows who will receive it. We need to be like those Bible salesmen who go out and knock on a hundred doors to sell, maybe sell one Bible. <laughs> but there, there's, a, there's a tide rising, and, and I, I sense it. And I, I know that it's promised in Second Thessalonians there'll be a great falling away uh, at the end. There'll be a great deception. You have to belong to something to fall away from it, right? And there are many people in churches that perhaps they they know about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. They, they understand some religious things, and they, they understand, they go to church out of a sense of duty, or because they've been doing that all their life, but they never really come in among those few that have chose the narrow gate. And so I, I urge you to search your own souls and your relationship to, to Jesus. Uh, as I get older, I find, and maybe some of you are experiencing the same thing, as you get older, I see a few gray heads in here, you get more serious. You know, when you're young, uh, you think you'll never die. And of course, if you belong to Christ and are really born again, you will never die. <laughs> But 
the older we get, the more, I think the more we begin to think about uh, it's not far off. And uh, it's so important, your relationship to Christ, that it be right, that it be supernatural and not just intellectual, not just religious. It, there be a supernatural thing that happened to you at one some time or other, or it could happen today, that instead of a kind of hope I'm born again, that you know you're born again. It makes all the difference in the world. Because if you're not born again, you can't, you cannot participate in supernatural faith. Faith is a gift given to, by the Lord to those who are born again. You can, not according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you cannot even understand the things of God that are supernaturally imparted. And there is a thing called supernatural hope. And that's what I want to briefly talk about uh, this morning. Supernatural hope. There's a there's a, a there's something in all of us called hope. Uh, I don't know if anybody you know I don't want to see any hands, but if you've ever bought a lottery ticket, uh, some people frown on that. Uh, I guess you hope you win the lottery. <laughs> Otherwise, you might as well save your money if you don't hope you'll win that. That's not supernatural hope. Uh, I guess it could be if the Lord spoke to you, go buy a lottery ticket, <laughs> because only His Word can bring hope, right? But supernatural hope is so important. Um, it says in... Uh, Romans chapter 11, which is a tremendous scripture, um, Romans, I'm, I'm sorry, Hebrews, <laughs> Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11 is the, um, I'll find it, yep, and I could quote it, uh, from memory, but I, I want to get it exactly right. It's it's something that I've preached on many, many times on the book of Hebrews chapter 11. It's that thing about faith. It's the heroes of the faith. And it says at the very first verse, now faith, I have to do this, <laughs> faith is the substance of things hoped for. And that's something we read, and I don't know that we think about it, but faith is a substance. And the word in the Greek there, substance, means something real, something you can actually identify, something you can lay your hands on. It's a real substance. Uh, and if it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, then faith has no 
meaning at all unless there's hope. Think about that. If there's no supernatural hope, there cannot be faith because faith is the substance of hope. Now, I know that everyone in here wants to go to heaven, right? Anybody doesn't want to go to heaven? Raise your hand, please. We'll pray for you. (laughs) So, I hope that I'll go to heaven. Um, About maybe five, six weeks ago, my wife uh, was pronounced uh, that she had uh, breast cancer. And I was on my way to Jeff Oaks Church, where I was sharing with his people and his elders and all for four days, three days. And I was in my car about half of, halfway out of Greensboro, and she called me and she said, Well, the, the pathologist has reported to me today, that was on a Friday, and said, I do have breast cancer. Well, that was a point where we didn't know what stage it was, what anything. My wife's 86. It's pretty unusual to have breast cancer. Um, and and uh, I thought about, wow, chemo. And we've got a lot of people in the church in, in Greensboro who are cancerous and are going through all kinds of hell with chemicals in their body. Chemo, you know, destroys a lot. And it can even bring on other cancers. And it weakens your immune system to the point where uh, you might just rather be dead. And you can get all kinds of other things happening to you. And so, um, it was a real dark moment for me. We've been married 68 years. and You know, I don't want to lose my wife. I love her to death. And so, it was a... Uh, I prayed there for a little bit about whether or not to turn around and go back. And I was about 50 miles from home. And uh, I called her and I said, you know, I'm thinking about coming back just to be with you because I know you must be kind of having some struggles right now. And she said, no, keep going because I don't need to be dragged down. (laughs) And, uh, I mean, that was, that's, that's the truth, you know. And so I said, well, you know what? I'll be, and, and all, it's, I was in the car and I was almost weeping because it dawned on me that I would, might, might lose my wife. And uh, I got to praying, and, and I, uh, I was thinking about this word, hope. And I said, you know, Lord, I really hope, I'm praying in faith that my wife's going to be all right, but I, I, I really got to have supernatural hope that that's going to be true. Otherwise, I'm just blowing in the wind. And so I began to think about this thing called hope. I went back in my mind to when I was first saved, and I was 42 years old. And one of the first scriptures that hit me uh, 
was in the book of Job. Job 19. I was at a prayer meeting in a home. Didn't know much. But on the... Some people, you know, stick scriptures and stuff on their refrigerators. And I was in the uh, kitchen of this meeting before it started. And there was a picture on the refrigerator of the home. It was a Kendall's house out on Friendly Avenue. And there was a dead soldier lying in the sand in North Africa, World War II. And his just his skeleton was there in his helmet, and he had a hole in the helmet. And under it was a quote from Job chapter 19. Now, Job is one of the oldest uh, books in the Bible, uh, according to research done by many smarter than I am. And uh, this was way before Moses and, the, and what he found out from God the fa- and Abraham, the father of our faith. And this impressed me so much that I've never forgotten it, but it's in Job 19, 25. And I start with verse 23, and Job says, Oh, that my words were written. He's, he's talking back to the Lord and to his friends. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book, and they were. That they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever. Now, here's what Job's words are that he wanted to leave for us. For I know, I know, that's faith. I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know. No, twice in there. That in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold him, and not another. How my heart yearns within me. And that, that scripture touched my heart. And, and to me, that was an expression of faith and vision, prophetic vision, down through the ages. And that was the grace given to Job way before we ever heard the word grace. I mean, he was given hope. And hope, supernatural hope, does come from God. It's, it's a gift, as we'll see in Hebrews in a few minutes. But... That hope is expressed in Job's heart here, a yearning, a hope. And somehow we, I understand at least, that Job knew something about God way back there. It was a gift. See, that's that supernatural gift that we get when we're born again. And you don't have to be told by your grandfather or your grandmother. And that, I'm glad we have those those uh, testimonies, but that hope springs eternal in the human heart, according to the Br- British poet, I think it was Blake, said, hope springs eternal in the human heart. And there is a little hope there in everybody that's kind of a little map light that God gives us. And, and that hope is converted into something magnificent when we're born again. And we're given hope. Now, those are 
that comes from the promises of God. All we have, by the way, all we have are promises. There's a promise here, but somehow Job knew in his heart. He, it, twice he said, I know this. If you look in the book of Romans, chapter 5, 6, and 7, you'll find about eight times the things that Paul says. We need to know. Do you not know that you were crucified with Christ? Do you not know that you were raised with him? There's so many. You see, that's, that's the nail. That, that's the nail that's put in our heart. It's a good nail that we hang everything on is hope, which faith is the substance, something real that you can grab hold of. And, and if you're not born again, you'll not understand a word I'm saying. It'll be intellectual to you. You'll, you'll say, what in the world is, is that madman raving about up there? So, let's go to Hebrews chapter 6. Let's see, I want to get rid of these. So I don't... Hebrews chapter 6 is one of my favorite. Uh, I love Hebrews 6. It's about the foundation of Christ and all. But I'm going to go to verse 13 through 20, and this is something you need to get in your heart. It says here, For when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater he swore by himself and so the promises of God are based on God swearing by himself the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit I don't understand that how God did all that but the three of them got together and they swore by themselves so that their promises would be firm. When Jesus Christ said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, that's a promise. You can hang your hat on it. You can go to the bank with that. If you don't believe that, you're going to be wandering, always wondering, is God with me? Is God faithful? Is God, is, is God going to do what he says? Am I going to have enough money? What, you know, a lot of people live in that wiggly valley, I call it, of doubt. And my Bible tells me a double-minded man gets nothing. Amen. There's a, there's a scripture in John fifteen seven says, If you abide, now this is a promise. This is one of those promises that God swore by himself, and you can take to the bank. He said, if you abide in me, and my word abides in you, uh-oh. How many Christians read their Bible and get the word in them? How many can hang their faith on the word of God when they don't know the word of God? I'm amazed at the immaturity of many Christians, so-called Christians who've been in the church for 30 years 
and you, you talk to them about, and get them in a meeting about Bible study, and you wonder, did they ever read the Bible? If my word abides and if if I, you abide in me, my word abides in you. You shall have whatever you ask, and it will be done for you. Look it up. Not now, but look it up. John fifteen seven. It's a promise. Well, that promise gives me hope. And the way it's reacted on me and my soul since my wife got breast cancer, I've been out every morning getting up on, Lord, help me to know what it means to abide in you. As far as I know, I'm abiding in Christ. But am I? I want to know, Lord. You've got to tell me if I'm not abiding in you, where I need to abide in you. And I want your word to abide in me. The word takes on a new meaning to me. As long as I've been in it, all of a sudden, it's become very important that I know what it means to have the Word abide in me. Because I'm asking God to heal my wife. And with all that's in me, I believe that He is. I believe from the moment I started praying, I know that when Christ spoke to that fig tree... The next day they came by and it was withered. And the Bible says it was dead from the roots up. It was beginning to die. So I believe that cancer in my wife is dead from the roots up from the moment I prayed. And it's, it's, it's withering. But my faith for that is substance only if I have the supernatural hope and if I abide in him and his word abides in me, you understand how important it is to have hope? I mean, real hope? Okay, so let's continue to read uh, Hebrews. And he says, surely saving, uh, well, we'll start again. For when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely... Blessing, and I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, after Abraham patiently endured and waited till the next day when the fig tree withered, he obtained the promise. Hallelujah. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutable immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. Now here's the clicker here. That by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. 
And so if you're born again and understand what I'm sharing, God has, and if you, if you read the promises, and I'm coming to that in a minute, hope is set before you. Amen? God sets it before you. And that's that supernatural hope I'm talking about. He has set that before us, that hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And so, if I'm born again and I understand the value of hope and I am willing to study the Bible and hear good teaching and take this seriously, there's something in my heart that's an anchor and it goes up through the veil where I can't see and it hooked to Jesus Christ. And that is... Supernatural hope. Now, just a couple of backup scriptures here just to show you where this hope come from. Let's go to, and, and I could give you a lot. Let's go to Psalm 119. And uh, Psalm 119, and I'm going to go to verse 49, and you can memorize this or... Look it up later. It says, Remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. So I'm, I'm just backing it up with this thought that the more I read the word, and the more I, instead of reading it to see what I can get from God, you know, we all know that he pays our bills. We know that he supplies everything we need. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm reading it now for the promises. Somebody said there's 8,000 some odd promises in the Bible. I don't know how many are there. Uh, I guess he took the time to count them and maybe missed one for all I know. (laughs) But the promises are all we have to hang on to. That's what... Job had in his heart back thousands of years ago. And that's what I'm grabbing on to right now. And, and um, uh, the word, it says here that the word, remember the word to your servant. Every promise in the Bible is a word to you. Every promise in the Bible is a word to you. And if you grab it, hope springs up because it says so right here. This is, this is a promise. Remember the word to your servant. The promises, prophetic words that you've had from people that are from genuine prophets that kind of quiver in your heart. Remember those words. There's another place in the Bible that says, You will not prosper if you don't pay attention to the prophets. You want to prosper in many ways the Lord wants you to prosper? 
then hang on to the Word. Okay, so that's one way we get so... All I'm saying is read your Bibles, for heaven's sakes. That's all. Don't neglect it. Fifteen minutes a day. That's better than nothing. I don't want your hands to be shown here, but how many of you are reading your Bibles on a regular basis? I know you are, because I talked to you this morning. I can tell from talking to you that you read your Bible. It's not hard. None of us know everything, but why would we not want, in these days, as dark as they are, why would we not want to learn what the Lord has to say to us? It's crazy not to. And let's look at Romans 5. And this right here is... Romans 5 is not a good scripture. It's going to hurt you. But it's true. It's going to hurt a little bit. Romans 5. But I've learned to love it. I've learned to love it. <clears throat> John said, <clears throat> John said, I'd been through a lot in my life and I have. I've been betrayed. I've been without money. I've been sick, real sick. I was an alcoholic at one time. I know some things. I'm like farm, that farm insurance. I've seen a few things. I know a few things. You know. <laughs> but this is so good if you can receive it in the right frame of mind. But therefore, Romans 5, having been justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You believe that? Are you at peace? Are you really at peace? Or do you, uh, or is this just a word, a religious word? Through whom we also have access to faith by this grace. Hallelujah. And rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in it. And not only that, now this is the part you won't like, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. Can you glory in tribulation? I tell you, you ought to, because listen to what happens. We glory in tribulation knowing, there's that knowing again, that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. I don't know, I'm not, several of you I know can identify with this, but when tribulation comes, you can either curl up in the corner and suck your thumb, or you can say, Lord, what are you trying to tell me? And Lord, I know that you love me because I read the Bible. (laughs) And I know you'll never leave me nor forsake me. And I know that you think good thoughts about me and all those promises. And so I know, I know that you've given me hope. And so I glory in this tribulation. I know it doesn't sound good and it's not happy time. 
but I glory in it because it's given me perseverance. I can keep going. There's so many words in the Bible about continuing. Continuing in faith, continuing in the gospel, continuing in fellowship. By the way, those that don't come to church very much, you're not continuing in fellowship. Koinonia in the Bible. So there's so much to that, but that produces character. Character is something that God has. The gifts, by the way, are given to you whether you have character or not. How many TV evangelists have had tremendous gifts and have messed up? Let's put it that way. Breaks my heart. There's a black pastor in Greensboro. Wonderful man. Church. Great church. He's just been found out to be in moral failure. Just breaks your heart. How did that happen? Where, you know, that's a character issue. That's a character issue. If you have gifts, they shine better when they're set in platinum or gold on a ring. There's five or six little diamonds here. This friend of mine gave me this little ring. But they're not worth much unless they're set in the proper character. The character is the ring setting, the gift is the gem. One of the most gifted people, persons ever created is Satan. Think about it. Character is produced by tribulation and perseverance. Because as you go through the knothole, with hope, you look back and say, hey, Jesus was with me all the time, and I didn't even, maybe I didn't know it, but I got through this, and I'm better for it. I've increased in my faith. First, first Peter chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, these tri- trials come upon you, upon you if need be, that your faith would be increased. And so, when I get through there, I look back, and I see... Holy Moses, he was with me. And now I have greater faith, but also I have greater hope that next time something goes wrong, he's going to be with me. And so my hope and faith both grow. Amen? So, to make a matter short, uh, it's the Word of God and tribulation approached by faith in the right way that brings hope. Gives you more hope. And we need hope. Amen. So I'm going to wind up here with one quick story. I'm going to tell a story too. It's in Mark. If you'll turn there with me in Mark chapter 10. And this is an illustration that perfectly illustrates out of the Bible what I'm talking about. And it's the story of blind Bartimaeus. Amen. Verse uh, 46. And if you'll listen, you'll see what I'm talking about here, and then I'll be through. Uh, And this is a story where Jesus was walking through the countryside with a multitude of people. He was walking along here. And it says, Now, 
They came, meaning Jesus and his, his entourage, which was very numerous at this time. It was a multitude. Now, they came to Jericho as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude. Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. If you'll picture this, there's a huge crowd coming and probably a lot of noise. And here's blind Bartimaeus sitting there, blind as a bat. And somebody, he must have heard the noise. And somebody says, well, it's Jesus of Nazareth coming down the road. And, and something happened. He had heard about Jesus. That meant something to him. And there's kind of a hope sprang up in his heart. Here comes the Savior, the salvation, the guy that's healing everybody. And so something happened called hope. It sprang into his, and he began to cry out to Jesus. And if you have hope, a lot of times you're going to, things are, this guy was, I mean, he, you picture this, blind, poor, begging, sitting by the road, dusty, and very little hope. And he heard some kind of word that sprang up in his heart, and hope sprang up. And he cried out, and he said, Jesus, the Son, Son of David, have mercy on me. Then the next thing happened is exactly what's going to happen to you. And when they heard that it was, he began to cry out. Then many warned him to be quiet. Your flesh will always warn you to be quiet when you're entering into supernatural stuff. I have some things going on in my body right now, and I'm believing I'm healed. And I act like I'm healed because I believe I'm healed. I'm not not doubting it. But my flesh will tell me, no, you're not healed. I say, yeah, but I am healed. Hallelujah. I am healed. Okay. Whatever it was, they said, be quiet. Don't don't bother him. Jesus wants to hear from you. And so, here's what I love about blind Bartimaeus. And uh, the, the more he, but he cried out all the more. Son, David, you've got to have an attitude like that. That's where faith starts to work. I remember my brother Earl Kellum, who's dead now, one of my mentors, and I, Earl never slept. Well, he did sleep, but he'd come in at 11, 12 o'clock from ministering. He'd up at 5 o'clock, and he'd be writing letters to people, thanking them for their donations and so forth. And I sat there with Earl one day in our living room. I said, Earl, how do you... How in the world do you do that? I, I have to have sleep. And he looked at me and he says, 
I don't let my body tell me what to do. And that did something in my heart. I'm not going to let my body, within reason, I mean, we're not crazy, but my body's not going to tell me what to do. That's the flesh. That's the old man. The old man's always against God. He's always against anything supernatural. And so blind Bartimaeus, he cries out all the more. Now this is, Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Isn't that beautiful? When Jesus sees your faith spring forth, even a little bit, he stands still. And he says, come to me. And he called him. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, be of good cheer, rise. He's calling you. Now, this part here is the greatest thing in the Bible to me. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. It says, in a, don't take a man's garment in a place because otherwise he has nothing to cover him. In those days, the garment, especially a blind beggar, was all he had. And being blind, if he had doubt that Jesus would heal his eyes with a multitude swirling all around and nobody to help him being blind, how would he find his garment again? Think about that. This man's faith was so great and his belief that Jesus was going to heal his eyesight that he threw that garment away into the crowd or wherever and he went up to Jesus without his garment. And I say, that's great faith. Can we, can we do that? Can I abide in Jesus and have his word abide in me to the point where I can throw away all my caution, all my whatever I have, and believe that Jesus is going to do what he said he'd do? It's a good question. I'm not trying to make you... I, 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 that's one of my cries in my life right now. Lord, I want to be there. I want to be that blind Bartimaeus. I want to be able... To really believe, I want my faith to be substance of, of genuine hope that comes from Jesus Christ, that anchor in the heavens. And so Jesus said something amazing here. He always does. <laughs> he always says something amazing. What do you want me to do for you? <laughs> Even even with this display of faith, Jesus wanted to test him one more time. What do you really want me to do? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight. And followed Jesus on the road, and I imagine he stopped to pick up his garment. (laughs) What a tremendous story.
to show you the value of hope and faith mixed together. And so, praise God, grace is rising, hope is stirring. Wonderful introduction to my message. And I pray that every one of you will move forward in Christ this morning. I hope those of you who are here intellectually, uh, maybe there's no one. Maybe you're all born again. But I doubt it. Sorry. Every one of you needs to seriously ask Christ into your heart this morning. I'm not going to have an altar call. If the Holy Spirit can't touch you where you sit, there's no point in my bringing you up here. But Lord, we need, and if you will, pray with me and you stand up and pray with me, those that can stand. Lord, we're in a desperate time. Every one of us, even though we might have money and good health today, and we may be 20 years old and full of zip and zim, Lord, we need you. There's no guarantee that any one of us will live past sunset today. Lord, we need you. We love you. And if we haven't gone through that narrow gate ever in our lives, Lord, let us go through it now. For you said, I am the gate. Lord, we need to go through that narrow gate. I ask that many here today who might not know you well enough would know you as a result of this word. And Lord, increase our hope. Increase our faith. If it takes diving into the Bible, if it takes going through tribulation, which we hope to avoid, but if necessary, we'll go through it by faith and have our characters built. Lord, help us. We're desperate in these days to know you better. Lord, Paul, who was tremendously gifted and when even went into the third heaven, said at the end of his life there in Philippians, Lord, to know you and the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your sufferings. Lord, help us. Bless this church. Begin to send in many. Send in those who should be here. Fill this place, Lord, with saints of God who are serious about Jesus Christ and His second coming. Lord, increase our hope, increase our faith. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you all. I believe this man opened up a can of preach on us today, huh? Amen? Amen. Now... If you find yourself in that place where you would like prayer to come into a place of greater faith and hope, please make your way. There will be people to to your left. There will be people to pray with you and, and share with you. And if you'd like to...